this is Jevin, and I'm the host of Sleepy Shakespeare. I'm looking back now. I see my last recording from February 17th, where I started to record Act 5 of The Comedy of Errors. <laughs> I went back and listened to it, and... Uh, it's of me saying I am recovered from what I think is the flu and am going to get back on track, which obviously didn't happen. So now we've been stuck in quarantine for a couple months and I want to get started back doing these episodes because I have heard from a lot of people who are listening to them. Uh, to help them go to sleep, not just my mom, (laughs) but I got really behind and I'm really sorry for that. I know that we're at Act 5 of the Comedy of Errors. Everything's been going on wrong, much confusion. (laughs) I barely even remember what happened in the story other than that. Uh, So we're about to find out how that wraps up for anybody who still remembers what was going on and then we'll get on to our next play and hopefully I will be better about recording them back to back like I did with Midsummer Night's Dream so before we get started with the comedy of errors final episode act five here is a word from our sponsors Act 5, Scene 1, Before an Abbey. I am sorry, sir, that I have hindered you, but I protest. He had the chain of me, though most dishonestly he doth deny it. How is the man esteemed here in the city? A very reverend reputation, sir, of credit infinite, highly beloved, second to none that lives here in the city. His word might bear my wealth at any time. Speak softly, yonder, as I think he walks. Tis so, and that self-chain about his neck, which he forswore most monstrously to have. Good sir, draw near to me. I'll speak to him. Signor Antiphilus, I wonder much that you would put me to this shame and trouble, and not without some scandal to yourself, with circumstance and oaths so to deny, this chain which now you wear so openly, beside the charge, the shame, imprisonment, you have done wrong to this my honest friend, who, but for staying on our controversy, had hoisted sail and put to sea today, this chain you had of me. Can you deny it? I think I had. I never did deny it. Yes, that you did, sir, and forswore it too. Who heard me to deny it or forswear it? These ears of mine, thou knowest, did hear thee. Fie on thee, wretch. Tis pity that thou livest to walk where any honest men resort. Thou art a villain to impeach me thus. 
I'll prove mine honor and mine honesty against thee presently, if thou darest stand. I dare, and do defy thee for a villain. They draw their swords. Hold, hurt him not, for God's sake. He is mad. Some get within him. Take his sword away. Find Romeo too, and bear them to my house. Run, master, run, for God's sake. Take a house. This is some priory. In, or we are spoiled. Be quiet, people. Wherefore throng you hither? To fetch my poor distracted husband hence. Let us come in, that we may bind him fast, and bear him home for his recovery. I knew he was not in his perfect wits. I am sorry now that I did draw on him. How long hath this possession held the man? This week he hath been heavy, sour, sad, and much different from the man he was. But till this afternoon his passion ne'er break into extremity of rage. Hath he not lost much wealth by rack of sea? Buried some dear friend? Hath not else his eye strayed his affection in unlawful love? A sin prevailing much in youthful men who give their eyes to the liberty of gazing? Which of these sorrows is he subject to? To none of these except it be the last, namely some love that drew him oft from home. You should have, for that, hath reprehended him. Why, so I did. I, but not rough enough, as roughly as my modesty would let me. Haply, in private. And in assemblies, too. I, but not enough. It was the copy of our conference. In bed, he slept not for my urging it. At board, he fed not for my urging it. Alone, it was the subject of my theme. In company, I often glanced it. Still did I tell him it was vile and bad. And therefore came it that the man was mad. The venom clamors of a jealous woman poisons more deadly than a mad dog's tooth. It seems his sleeps were hindered by thy railing, and therefore comes it that his head is light. Thou sayest his meat was sauced up with thy upbraidings? Unquiet meals make ill digestions, thereof the raging fire of fever bred. And what's a fever but a fit of madness? Thou sayest his sports were hindered by the brawls? Sweet recreation bard, what doth ensue but moody and dull melancholy? Kinsmen to grim and comfortless despair and at her heels a huge infectious troop of pale distemperatures and foes to life, in food, in sport, in life-preserving rest, to be disturbed would mad, or man, or beast. The consequence is, then, thy jealous fits have scared thy husband from the use of wits. She never reprehended him but mildly, when he demeaned himself rough, rude, and wildly. Why bear you these rebukes and answer not? She did betray me to my own reproof. 
good people enter and lay hold on him. No, not a creature enters my house. Then let your servants bring my husband forth. Neither. He took this place for sanctuary, and it shall privilege him from your hands till I have brought him to his wits again, or lose my labor in assaying it. I will attend my husband, be his nurse, diet his sickness, for it is my office, and will have no attorney but myself, and therefore let me have him home with me. Be patient, for I will not let him stir, till I have used the approved means I have, with wholesome syrups, drugs, and holy prayers, to make of him a formal man again. It is a branch and parcel of mine oath, a charitable duty of mine honor. Therefore, depart and leave him here with me. I will not hence and leave my husband here, and ill it doth beseem your holiness to separate the husband and the wife. Be quiet and depart, thou shalt not have him. Complain unto the duke of this indignity. Come, go. I will fall prostrate at his feet, and never rise until my tears and prayers have won his grace to come in person hither, and take perforce my husband from the abbess. By this I think the dial points at five. Anon, I'm sure the duke himself in person comes this way to the melancholy vale the place of death and sorry execution, behind the ditches of the abbey here. Upon what cause? To see a reverend Syracusian merchant who put unluckily into this bay against the laws and statutes of this town, beheaded publicly for his offense. See where they come, we will behold his death. Kneel to the duke before he passed the abbey. Yet what again? Proclaim it publicly. If any friend will pay the sum for him, he shall not die, so much we tender him. Justice, most sacred duke, against the abbess. She is a virtuous and a reverend lady. It cannot be that she hath done thee wrong. May it please your grace, Antipholus, my husband, who I made lord of me and all I had at your important letters, this ill day a most outrageous fit of madness took him, that desperately he hurried through the street, with him his bondman, all as mad as he, doing displeasure to the citizens by rushing in their houses, bearing fence, rings, jewels, and anything his rage did like. Once did I get him bound and sent him home, whilst to take order for the wrongs I went, that here and there his fury had committed. Anon I what not by what strong escape he broke from those that had the guard of him, and both his mad attendant and himself, each one with ireful passion, with drawn swords, met us again, and madly bent on us, chased us away, till raising of more aid we came again to bind them. Then they fled into this abbey, whither we pursued them, and here the abbess shuts the gates on us, and will not suffer us to fetch him out, nor send him forth that we may bear him hence. 
Therefore, most gracious Duke, with thy command, let him be brought forth and born hence for help. Long since thy husband served me in my wars, and I to thee engaged a prince's word, when thou didst make him master of thy bed, to do him all the grace and good I could. Go, some of you, knock at the abbey gate, and bid the lady abbess come to me. I will determine this before I stir. O oh, mistress, mistress, shift and save yourself. My master and his man are both broke loose, beaten the maids a row, and bound the doctor, whose beard they have singed off with braids of fire. And ever as it blazed, they threw on him great pails of puddled mire to quench the hair. My master preaches patience to him, and the while his man with scissors nicks him like a fool. And sure, unless you send some present help, between them they will kill the conjurer. Peace, fool, thy master and his man are here, and that is false do thou dost report to us. Mistress, upon my life I tell you true. I have not breathed almost since I did see it. He cries for you and bows if he can take you to scorch your face and to disfigure you. Hark, hark, I hear him, mistress. Fly, be gone. Come, stand by me, fear nothing. Guard with halberds. I, me, it is my husband. Witness you that he is born about invisible. Even now we housed him in the abbey here, and now he's there, past thought of human reason. Justice, most gracious duke, oh, grant me justice, even for the service that long since I did thee, when I bestrid thee in thy wars, and took deep scars to save thy life, even for the blood that then I lost for thee, now grant me justice. Unless the fear of death doth make me dote, I see my son Antipholus and Dromeo. Justice, sweet prince, against that woman there, she whom thou gavest me to be my wife, that hath abused and dishonored me, even in the strength and height of injury, beyond imagination is the wrong, that she this day hath shameless thrown on me. Discover how and thou shalt find me just. This day, great duke, she shut the doors upon me while she with harlots feasted in my house. A grievous fault, say, woman, didst thou so? No, my good lord, myself, he, and my sister, today did dine together. So befall my soul, as this is false, he burdens me withal. Ne'er may I look on day nor sleep on night, but she tells to your highness simple truth. O perjured woman, they are both forsworn, and this the madman justly chargeth them. My liege, I am advised what I say, neither disturbed with the effect of wine, nor heady rash, provoked with raging ire, albeit my wrongs might make one wiser mad. This woman locked me out this day from dinner. That goldsmith there, were he not packed with her, could witness it, for he was with me then, who parted with me to go fetch a chain, 
promising to bring it to the porpentine where Balthazar and I did dine together. Our dinner done and he not coming thither, I went to seek him. In the street I met him and in his company that gentleman. There did this perjured goldsmith swear me down that I this day of him received the chain, which God he knows I saw not, for the which he did arrest me with an officer. I did obey and sent my peasant home for certain ducats, but he with none returned. Then fairly I bespoke the officer to go in person with me to my house. By the way we met, my wife, her sister, and a rabble more of vile confederates along with them they brought one pinch a hungry lean-faced villain a mere anatomy a mountebank a threadbare juggler and a fortune teller a needy hollow-eyed sharp-looking wretch a living man this pernicious slave forsooth took on him as a conjurer and gazing in mine eyes feeling my pulse and with no face as twere outfacing me cries out i was possessed then altogether they fell on me, bound me, bore me thence, and in a dark and dankish vault at home there left me and my man both bound together, till gnawing with my teeth my bonds in sunder, I gained my freedom, and immediately ran hither to your grace, whom I besieged to give me ample satisfaction for these deep shames and great indignities." my lord in truth thus far i witnessed with him that he dined not at home buzz, but was locked out but had he such a chain of thee or no he had my lord and when he ran in here these people saw the chain about his neck besides i will be sworn these ears of mine heard you confess you had the chain of him after you first forswore it on the mark and thereupon I drew my sword on you, and then you fled into this abbey here, from whence I think you are come by miracle? I never came within these abbey walls, nor ever didst thou dry thy, draw thy sword on me. I never saw the chain, so help me heaven, and this is false you burden me with all. Why, what an intricate impeach is this? I think you all have drunk of circus cup. If here you housed him, here he would have been. If he were mad, he would not plead so coldly. You say he dined at home. The goldsmith here denies that saying. Sirrah, what say you so? Sir, he dined with her there at the porpentine. He did, and from my finger snatched that ring. "'Tis true, my liege, this ring I had of her. "'Sawst thou him enter at the abbey here? "'As sure, my liege, as I do see your grace. "'Why, this is strange. "'Go call the abbess hither. "'I think you are all mated or stark mad. "'Most mighty duke, vouchsafe me speak a word.' Haply, I see a friend will save my life, and pay the sum that may deliver me. Speak freely, Syracusian, what thou wilt. Is not your name, sir, called Antipholus, and is that not your bondman, Dromeo? 
Within this hour I was his bondman, sir, but he, I thank him, nod in to my cords. Now am I Dromeo and his man unbound. I am sure you both of you remember me. Ourselves we do remember, sir, by you, for lately we were bound as you are now. You are not pensions patient, are you, sir? Why look you strange on me? You know me well. I never saw you in my life till now. Oh, grief hath changed me since you saw me last, and careful hours with time's deformed hand have written strange features in my face. But tell me yet, dost thou not know my voice? Neither. Dromeo, nor thou? No, trust me, sir, nor I. I am sure thou dost. I, sir, but I am sure I do not, and whatsoever a man denies, you are now bound to believe him. Not know my voice, O oh, time's extremity! Hast thou so cracked and splitted my poor tongue in seven short years that here my only son knows not my feeble key of untuned cares? Thou now this grain face of mine be hid in sap-consuming winter's drizzled snow, and all the conduits of my blood froze up, yet half my night of life some memory, my wasting lamps some fading glimmer left, my dull deaf ears a little used to hear, all these old witnesses I cannot err. Tell me thou art my son Antipholus. I never saw my father in my life. But seven years since in Syracuse, boy, thou knowest we parted, but perhaps my son, thou shamest to acknowledge me in misery? The duke and all that know me in the city can witness with me that it is not so. I ne'er saw Syracuse in my life. I tell thee, Syracusean, twenty years have I been patron to Antipholus during which time he ne'er saw Syracusa. I see thy age and dangers make thee dote. Most mighty duke, behold, a man much wronged. I see two husbands, or mine eyes deceive me. One of these men is genius to the other, and so of these. Which is the natural man, and which is the spirit, who deciphers them? I, sir, am Dromeo. Command him away. I, sir, am Dromeo. Pray, let me stay. Aegeon, art thou not, or else his ghost? Oh, my old master, who hath bound him here? Whoever bound him, I will loose his bonds and gain a husband by his liberty. Speak, old Aegeon, if thou beest the man that hadst a wife once called Amelia, that bore thee at a burden two fair sons. If thou be the same Aegeon, speak, and speak unto the same Amelia. If I dream not, thou art Amelia. If thou art she, tell me, where is that sun that floated with thee on the fatal raft? 
By men of Epidamnum, he and I, and the twin Dromeo, all were taken up. But by and by, rude fishermen of Corinth, by force, took Dromeo and my son from them, and me they left with those of Epidamnum. What then became of them, I cannot tell. I to this fortune that you see me in. Why, here begins his morning story right. These two Antipholuses, these two so like, and these two Dromeos, one in semblance, besides her urging of her racket sea, these are the parents to these children, which accidentally are met together. Antipholus, thou camest from Corinth first. No, sir, not I. I came from Syracuse. Stay, stand apart. I know not which is which. I came from Corinth, my most gracious lord, and I with him, brought to this town by that most famous warrior, Duke Menaphon, your most renowned uncle. Which of the two of you did dine with me today? I, gentle mistress. And you are not my husband? No, I say nay to that. And so did I. Yet did she call me so? And this fair gentlewoman, her sister here, did call me brother. What I told you then, I hope I shall have leisure to make good, if this be not a dream I see and hear. That is the chain, sir, which you had of me. I think it be, sir, I deny it not. And you, sir, for this chain arrested me. I think I did, sir, I deny it not. I sent you money, sir, to be your bail by Dromeo, but I think he brought it not. No, none by me. This purse of ducats I received from you, and Dromeo, my man, did bring them me. I see we still did meet each other's man, and I was taken for him and he for me, and thereupon these errors are arose. These ducats pawn I for my father here. It shall not need thy father hath his life. Sir, I must have that diamond from you. There, take it, and much thanks for my good cheer. Renowned Duke, vouchsafe to take the pains to go with us into the abbey here, and here at large discoursed all our fortunes and all that are assembled in this place, that by this sympathized one day's error have suffered wrong, go keep us company, and we shall make full satisfaction. Thirty-three years have I but gone in travail of you, my sons, until this present hour, my heavy burden never delivered, the Duke, my husband, and my children both, and you, the calendars of their nativity, go to a gossip's feast and joy with me. After so long grief, such felicity. With all my heart, all gossip at this feast. Master, shall I fetch your stuff from shipboard? Dromeo, what stuff of mine hast thou embarked? Your goods that lay at host, sir, in the centaur. 
He speaks to me. I am your master, Dromeo. Come go with us. We'll look to that anon. Embrace thy brother there. Rejoice with him. There is a fat friend at your master's house that kitchened me for you today at my dinner. She now shall be my sister, now not my wife. Methinks you are my glass and not my brother. I see by you I am a sweet-faced youth. Will you walk in to see their gossiping? Not I, sir. You are my elder. That is a question. How shall we try it? We'll draw cuts for the senior. Till then, lead thou first. Nigh then thus, we came into the world like brother and brother, and now let's go hand in hand, not one before another. And that is the end of the Comedy of Errors. Thus we have the end of the Comedy of Errors, which I know you have been waiting on pens and needles for the ending for two months. We leave our cast of characters with a happy ending. Husband and wife, father, mother, two sets of twins, all reunited, happy going to a gossip's feast to all discuss what has befallen them over the last 33 years since they got separated. So I really love the ending of this. It actually ends with the Dromeo twins, who are the manservants, and <laughs> they're having a bit of a comedic argument, which I would say these characters are the comic relief for what is a comical play. They're arguing over which one of them looks younger than the other. And then it has this great final line. Uh, they're walking into the dinner, Dromeo number one or two. I, can't, I think he was number two. I can't remember what order I introduced them in. Says, we came into the world like brother and brother. And now let's go hand in hand, not one before the other. I just think it's such a sweet ending. Of course, it's, you know, so random, not realistic. They've been all separated for 33 years. Uh, father with uh, one set of Dromeo and Antipholus. Uh, the mother all by herself. She was taken into an abbey to be a nun. And then the other two sets of twins well, the other half of each set, have been sent off to war. They know the Duke. They fought in all these great battles. And so they hardly even knew of each other. They haven't seen each other in longer than I've even been alive. And we just have this sweet, sweet ending where the family is all back together and happy and safe. Oh, and Aegeon, the father, who we saw in the very first scene about to be executed for entering Corinth when he was not supposed to because Corinth and Syracuse were at war. So he's saved because now the Duke understands the whole story. He is who he says he is. Uh, these are the twins and 
everyone that they've wronged today kind of understands exactly why that happened because it was just so much confusion. It was not a possession. It was just a unlikely convening of two sets of twins. Next, I'll be moving on to our next story. I guess I'll choose that tonight and I'll try to keep these up and rolling so that we get a get a podcast every night instead of me taking a two-month sabbatical. <laughs> All right. 